congregation, the text for the sermon this morning is the verses 35 and 36 of Luke 20. We'll read those two verses again. And there the Lord Jesus says the following, but those who are counted worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage nor can they die anymore for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes wonder what life will be like in the resurrection, right? In the life to come. What will we actually be doing then? Will we recognize the people we knew in this life, our loved ones in particular? Will the earth be big enough for all the people that have been saved over the ages? What will happen to the, to the relationships that we had with people? Will they be the same there as, as here? Similar? What about marriage? And that's the, the question that comes to the fore in Luke 30. All our all our questions are not answered in the Bible, we'll have to wait and see, believe. But the Lord Jesus does address that question of the Sadducees about marriage. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in a physical resurrection, a physical life in eternity. And to prove their point, they came up with this hypothetical situation, which they believed Prove their point. Imagine that this woman was married seven times in this life. Time and again, she was widowed and then she remarried. A highly unlikely scenario for us, but it was possible in Israel taking into account leveret marriage as it was practiced in those days. Men were obligated to marry the widow of their older male relative if he died so that their inheritance, their male relative's inheritance in the promised land would remain with the family. Well, said the Sadducees, there was this woman who had seven husbands. And what would happen in the resurrection when the bodies are raised and reunited with the souls? she would have these seven husbands. Of course, the Sadducees were trying to trap Jesus in a kind of a nasty way to show how foolish his preaching about the resurrection of the body really was, but Jesus gave a response that went above and beyond what was expected. And that counts for his response, what his response would be to all our questions about the life to come, questions we can't go into this morning. The Lord Jesus 
though does respond to that question about marriage and the resurrection in a very remarkable way. He shows that there will be, in spite of the fact that there's, it's a physical resurrection, some things are the same in the life to come, there will also be differences between this life and the life to come, the age to come. The life in this age doesn't seamlessly go over into the age to come. Our bodies will be our bodies, yes, you will be you, but there will also be some differences from our life here. And that's what Jesus shows in our text with its context, and I preached to you the text for this morning with this theme, the life in the age to come, the age of the resurrection. And we see two things, it's different from life in this age, and secondly, what that difference means for life in this age. So, life in the age to come, in the age of the resurrection, will be different from life in this age. That in the first place. Congregation, Jesus' words in Luke 20 show at least three differences between this age and the age of the resurrection. In the first place, <clears throat> there is development in this life. It's always unfolding in this life, whereas in the life to come, you could talk about a fullness. You can typify the life here with two concepts here, this life. Two concepts, not yet and no longer. At first there is not yet, when you're young, you're not yet finished your schooling, you're not yet licensed to drive, you're not yet married, your house is not yet paid off, you're not yet at the top of your career. Your children are not yet on their own. They haven't moved out of the house. Eventually, though, those not yets turn into no longers. Everyone's life is different, but eventually you can no longer have children. You're no longer able to do what you could before. You're no longer married. You're no longer able to walk without a cane. It can be hard to accept those no longers. It would be nice if you could stay strong and healthy and in the middle of things, but all those nice things do pass on, and you have to let them go. And they become no longers. If we had not fallen into sin in the beginning, there would be no no longers. But... Because of the fall, everything not yet eventually becomes no longer until we're no longer here, no longer part of this life. But because of Jesus Christ, a new heaven and a new earth are on the way where there will be no not yets and only one basic no longer. No longer any death. Think about it, congregation. After the Lord Jesus returns in glory, there will be new heavens and a new earth where there is no longer any death or decay or any of the things that are associated with decline. No funerals, no cemeteries, no sorrow because, of, because somebody is taken away from us by death. 
no prospect of death in the future either. If you can imagine living without the prospect of death. Life and everything good and wonderful about it remains forever and ever. Never declines or, or disappears. Never have to be afraid that the, the good and the beautiful will fade away or be taken away. You're never in danger. Never have to feel unsafe. Never have to be uncertain. Imagine that some organization would advertise that they could give that to people today. I think everybody, the whole country would storm that com company that offered such a product. But there's no company or science that can offer that kind of fullness of life. Only Jesus can do that. His resurrection, we confess in the Halbert Catechism, is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. All who embrace him in faith will certainly share in that fullness of life which he now possesses after his resurrection. And that brings us to the second. So I, that's the first difference, but that there's, there's fullness versus the, the non-fullness here, the not yet and no longer here. That brings us to the second difference between this age and the age to come. Not everybody who lives and dies in this age will attain that blessed resurrection to full and everlasting life. In other words, not everybody who is here will be there in that resurrection that Jesus is talking about. There will be children of this age who are not part of that age of the resurrection. And there will be children of this age, sons of this age, who will be there. There will be children of this age whose eyes remain blinded so they don't see through what's going on here and where everything is headed here. And therefore, it's necessary that our eyes be open to the reality that the life of this age, no matter how nice it can be, is in decline and will eventually perish. People might think they can stop that decline with all kinds of science, technology, or politics or so, but the fall and the ongoing sin of mankind will build up and continually take its toll, continue to do so. This age is on the way to the brick wall. The ship of this age is headed for the rocks of God's judgment, and there is nothing and no one who can stop that. There is only one lifeboat, and that is Jesus Christ. And he's willing and ready to save sinners, but our eyes have to be open to where everything is headed. And only then will we say to him, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you see him like that? Do you see him like that as your only hope and salvation, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? From this age which is declining. Jesus speaks in the verse just before our text about those who are considered worthy to 
attain to the age of the resurrection from the dead in that verse, first verse, verse 35. Notice, they're not described as being worthy in themselves. They're considered worthy. They are considered worthy by God. Like the prodigal son, when he returned to his father, he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And his father embraced him anyway, considered him worthy to be embraced. The centurion said to Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof and to heal my son. His son was healed. They're considered worthy because they felt their own unworthiness and embraced Jesus Christ as their only hope. We're all totally unworthy in ourselves, completely. But in Christ, God considers us worthy to attain to the life to come. That's the second difference. Not everybody here is going to be there. Something to think about seriously. The third difference. Whereas there is increase of population here in this age, there is no increase in the number of people who are in the age to come. This age began with two people, Adam and Eve, and they were given the task to be fruitful and multiply. And the population, therefore, had to increase through marriage and the birth of children over, over time. Expansion of population, world population, but Adam and Eve sinned and death came into this world. And then the birth of children, though, still ensured that mankind would not die out, but would continue. Even if people died, others were, other people were being born. Throughout this age, as death takes people away, more and more people are conceived and born. But that stops when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And when the age of the resurrection comes. This, that age of the resurrection will not begin with two people who have to have the calling then to be fruitful and multiply. No, there will be no more deaths and births in the age of the resurrection. That age will begin with a set number of people. A host of people described in Revelation as a multitude which no one can count. God's elect people. No people will be added to that number. No people will be let go from that number. The population of the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth will remain the same. Nobody can die anymore there will also be no births anymore there required in the fullness of God's kingdom. Here and now children are born every day. But here and now people are also reborn every day. And so belong to God's kingdom. There's time for that. A time of grace in which people enter this world, are instructed in the truth of God's word, and where the word is proclaimed, people can belong to God's kingdom and church. They're called into that. But in the age to come, nobody will need 
to be born in the first place and then to be born again. Nobody will need to be added to the kingdom and church of God. It's complete. And that means that in the age of, of the resurrection, the gate of the kingdom will be shut too. And that's something to think about. The opportunity to enter the kingdom of God will have passed. It would be terrible if you therefore found yourself outside of that kingdom, wouldn't it? There's no opportunity to enter it anymore. You can knock at the door, but the Lord Jesus will say to you, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And you'd suffer eternal regret that you didn't go in in this life while you had the time here. So let's not get caught up in the attitude of this age in which people ignore God and ignore the fact that when they die here, there won't be any opportunity to enter the fullness of his kingdom anymore. There won't be any way to go in anymore forever. But now, there's still time. And that's something to think about here. So, those three differences between this age and the age to come. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, what those differences mean for our lives now, practically. Congregation, note that the Lord Jesus draws a conclusion from those differences. He says, the children of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those of the age to come, the sons of the age to come, they, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. And then he adds, that's because in the age to come, people are like the angels, equal to the angels. And what does he mean with that, equal to the angels? Well, he's not saying that we'll be equal to the angels in all respects, of course. Angels don't have bodies. They are spiritual beings. But the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that in the resurrection, we'll have our bodies again, glorified and mortal, but they'll be our bodies. Like the body of the Lord Jesus after his resurrection. His disciples could touch him. No, we'll be equal to the angels in that there's a set number of angels. They, won't, they don't increase in number through birth. They don't decrease through death. Their number is forever the same, and so it will be for the children of God in the resurrection. And then I can think of three ways that that applies to us here today, if we think about that. In the first place, there will be no more marriage with all its aspects, including the sexual aspect in the age to come, because there will be no need for reproduction anymore. In this age, we have the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. In particular, in God's covenant and church and kingdom, we add people to the kingdom and church of God in this age through reproduction within the covenant. 
That isn't to say that reproduction is the only or the most important purpose of marriage, the marriage of believers. But it is an important goal of marriage which God wrapped into marriage when he instituted it in the beginning. That's why it's not strange that people who seek but don't find a marriage partner or who marry but don't have children find those things so painful to deal with. Especially believers. They know that marriage is a gift of God and the children are a blessing from him. And that it's a blessing to be able to contribute to the fullness of his kingdom. So it's an important goal of Christian marriage to bring forth children for God's church and kingdom. To populate that age of the resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth. There's death here and God's church needs to continue here on earth and he loves to bring people into his church and kingdom not only through mission but also and especially through the birth of covenant children. It's a wonderful thing if a couple can contribute to that increase of God's church and kingdom through bringing children into this world. And that's so important with an eye to that great multitude in the age of the resurrection that John saw in Revelation. Well, nowadays, you realize our society reasons in a completely different way. More and more couples decide what they to be, and more and more couples in our society then decide to be what they call child-free. Have no children at all today. In Canada, almost 10%, according to statistics, almost 10% of couples aged 20 to 34 apparently now decide they want to be child-free. No children. And more and more of the other 90% plan to delay their first child till later in life and then have one or maybe two more children. And that's because they don't want to put their career on hold too long. Many have no concept of the age of the resurrection. So why should you have any more children? Why should you bust your head over that? All that busyness of having children and raising children. If you don't have an eye for the age of the resurrection. Sometimes you wonder. If something of that kind of attitude might not be rubbing off. On young couples in the church. What considerations and deliberations play a role in family planning in the church. Whatever you think about your own abilities and so, do you also take into consideration, though, that calling to have children for that age to come? Do you make those decisions in the light of that, that age to come? And are you honestly laying before God in prayer your deliberations? And let's not judge that for other couples just think about it ourselves and ask our, our own considerations and deliberations in this truly godly. And yes, bringing children into this world is wonderful and is good, as we mentioned, but the real challenge then too is to raise them to love God according to his words so that they too 
are born again and, and part of that age of the resurrection. Covenant children aren't automatically children of the kingdom of God, sons of the resurrection. No, that's the, the Christian parents' struggle in raising and guiding their children, isn't it? That, that you do your best to instruct at home and have your children instructed in church and school in God's grace and love so that they are born not into, only into this world, but born again as part of the age of the sons of the resurrection. For as baptism shows, our children are also conceived and born in sin and by nature are children of wrath so that they cannot enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. But covenant parents, so the covenant parents have a, a big task, but they also have the promise that the Holy Spirit will help them in that if they continually seek his work in their children. And so even if those children have turned away from God at a certain time, the parents still have the mighty means of prayer, praying that the Spirit will remain in their children and in time will turn their hearts to God again. And couples and singles who have not received children from God have the task then too to support parents and to pray for the youth of the church. We come to the second application of Jesus' words about the children of God being like the angels. What do angels do? Angels serve God faithfully, promptly, Perfectly, their constant desire is to carry out God's will. They're ready to go wherever and do whatever God wants them to do. They'll do it. No questions asked. And in the age to come, is the implication of our text then, we'll be like the angels in serving God like that too. Wonderful. But in this age, it isn't like that with us, is it? Our service of God, our doing His will, isn't as perfect and spontaneous as that service of the angels. There sadly can be so much reluctance and apathy in doing the will of God with believers here yet. So many things, such as weakness and selfishness, which hinder us from being really willing and ready to obey God's commandments no matter what. But that's exactly why he instituted marriage in the beginning. He instituted marriage so that husband and wife can, as the form for marriage states, help each other in all things that belong to this and the future life. See, the Lord God knows how difficult it can be not to be married, to not have a soulmate for help and spiritual support. You can have close friends who support you, but they really can't replace ultimately a marriage partner who has your spiritual well-being at heart. 
God knows how hard it can be to be alone, especially alone in the struggle of faith. And that's also one of the reasons he invented marriage in the beginning. Supporting one another in serving God is an important purpose of marriage. Serving the Lord, living for Him can so easily slack off and even come to a standstill. Not willing to keep up the good fight of faith, but wanting to do one's own will instead. What a blessing then, hey, that God has called husbands and wives together to help and support each other in serving Him. You encourage each other to stay faithful to God. You pray together. You read and talk about God's Word together. You go to church together. You discuss the sermon together. You raise your children together in the discipline and fear of the Lord. You discuss that together. Work it out together. You stimulate each other in those things, whether you're married one year or whether you're married 50 years. You're supporting each other in the service of God. And then you can also take spiritual admonition from one another, right? If you notice weakness in your partner, or if your partner notices weakness in you. And see, that's also why God gave marriage. Not just to make us happy. Because a lot of people think that the purpose of marriage is happiness in, 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 and that's it. No, he gave marriage in order that we might have somebody close to us to help us in our service of him. And then, yes, to be happy together in him. But to help one another is the purpose Our marriages, if they're good, should bring us closer to the Lord together. And that's something for you, young people, to think about. If you're looking for a husband or a wife, you know, then you you can ask yourself, can I see myself growing in my love for God and my serving Him with this person? Because what does it benefit you if you gain a happy marriage but lose the Lord? So we come to the third application of Jesus' words in the text. And to summarize where we come then so far, God instituted marriage to bring children into the world for him. And he instituted it so we help each other in serving him. That's why marriage won't be needed anymore in the age to come. But that's also why marriage is needed in this age too. You could put it this way, marriage in all its aspects, spiritual, physical, or practical, is given to us so we can make progress on the way to the resurrection. When we're like the angels and there's no marrying or giving in marriage anymore. So marriage is just for this life, here. And that relativizes marriage, too, if you think about it. Marriage ain't everything. It's something to help us as we move toward the age to come. It's like a a stick you use, you take in your hand to help you as you hike along a path up a hill or a mountain. It's a help, 
an assist. And see, if you see marriage that way, you'll understand what's most important in life is not whether you're married or not married or whether you have children or not, but whether you've entered the kingdom of God or not, whether you're on the way to the age of the resurrection or not. That is the big question. What are you busier in life with then? How can I find a husband or wife? Or how can I enter the kingdom of God? How can we have children? Or how can we serve God's children best right now? You can hike up that hill toward glory without the assistance of that stick too. You can do that with God's help. As long as you're on the right trail, that's the issue. Then you're headed to the age when God will wipe away every tear and take away every sorrow. Also the sorrow of never having been married or never having had children in your marriage. Or having to deal with a broken marriage. In the age to come, everybody's joy will be full. So marriage isn't everything either. And don't make it everything. Because what you do then is, as you're climbing up, then you're stopping and you're leaning on that, that stick and you're thinking, you know, I like the view from here. I don't need to go any further. And then your, your, your life here, your marriage here becomes an end in itself. You idolize it. And then you're like the people in the days of Noah. In those days, Jesus once said, they were eating and drinking, building and planning, marrying and giving in marriage until the day the flood came. And those things they were doing were not bad in themselves, marrying and giving in marriage either. But that's all their life was about. Maybe they had beautiful weddings. Maybe nice prayers were offered up for happy marriages. But then you see God was only there to give them a happy and comfortable life. But God gives us what we have, also marriage, in order to serve and honor him for the progress of his kingdom and so that we make progress towards that kingdom too. So marriage is an, not an end in itself. It's an assist to the end, which is God's glorious kingdom. Oh, congregation, you realize that this is what makes life such a struggle and what gives us so much sorrow yet. Our service of God is incomplete and deficient and that's because our life here is in such a state of not yet I'm not holy yet I'm not yet holy as I should be I'm not yet as devoted to serving God as I need to be if only I could make more progress in those things if only I was further on that hike up that hill if only I would be at the top already with God there living fully in his glory, no longer having to fight sin in myself and around me. But I'm not there yet. But I wish I was. There's a longing in me. And as long as we have that longing, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, then that non not yet will certainly become no longer, no longer sin, which leads to death. And therefore no longer imperfect, 
no longer unable to serve God with all our hearts either. No, because then we'll be with God and with the Lamb who saved us and we'll be able to serve and praise them perfectly forever. Amen.